This is a Stand With Lynette podcast. You have episode 27, the only diet plan you will ever need. What would your life be like if you knew you could stand firmly on the covenant path, come what may? My name is Lynette Shepard, and I am here to help you do just that. If you are a Latter-day Saint woman with a desire to brighten your faith as the world grows darker, you are in the right place. Together, let's stand. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome back to Stand with Lynette. I'm Lynette, and I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm super excited for today's topic. This topic is something that I have been thinking about for many years. I have done a ton of research about, and even just recently, I have read this section in the Doctrine and Covenants that talks about this subject. I looked up every footnote. I got out my dictionary trying to define words so that I could really, really understand what the Lord was trying to teach us here for my own personal benefit. But I learned so much that I want to share it with you as well, because I think this can be a topic that can potentially be really confusing for people. I know that I have often been confused with this topic, which is the topic of diet and what to eat and how to keep ourselves healthy through what we eat. And I just want to clear up any confusion that you might have based on what the Lord teaches us in the scriptures. And there's so much in there that I think we sometimes just kind of gloss over and don't really focus on and don't really dive into. And so that's why you have me, (laughs) my friend. That's what I'm going to help you do today. And I can't wait to get there. But first, I would just like to thank all those who have left ratings or reviews for this podcast. As I've said many times in the past, those really help me. They help me to find the people that I can help. And so thank you for doing that. And if you haven't yet done that, I would love it if you would just leave a quick rating, a quick review. It doesn't have to be anything in depth. And that would mean so much to me. Just telling maybe one thing that has stood out to you in this podcast so far, one thing that has resonated, one thing that you have learned that has helped you in your life. That would be amazing if you could help me out there. But in the meantime, let's dive in to the word of wisdom. That's what we're going to talk about today. The only diet plan you will ever need. And I'm going to explain why that is. Why is it the only diet plan that you will ever need when there are so many different options? But before we get in, I just have to give this disclaimer, which should just be understood, but just in case, I am not a medical professional. I am not a dietitian. I am not a nutritionist. I am someone who has done a ton of research, but otherwise, I Nothing that I say here today should take the place of whatever competent medical advice you have received in regards to your diet. This is informational. This is something that you can ponder, that you can take to the Lord, but I don't want you to take it and throw the medical advice you have received out the window and apply what I have to say. So having said that, let me give you a little bit of background as to why this topic is so meaningful for me personally. If you listen to episode eight, you may know that I love food. I've always loved food. This is something that's always been fascinating to me. I love to cook. I love to try new foods. I love to eat all the things. And 
I loved it so much that I studied nutrition as a minor in college. I have often wished that I had made it my major because I just think it's so fascinating. And I read food books for fun. I've read so many different food books about nutrition and different aspects of nutrition. And I have read it for fun. I've done a ton of research. But two years ago, you may or may not know that I had a total thyroidectomy, which means that I had my entire thyroid removed. Sometimes they just remove like half of it if there's a problem with half, but I had my whole thyroid out. It had some really big nodules inside that were growing faster than my doctor was comfortable with. And so they removed all of it and found some cancer in there, which was a good thing they got it out. All the cancer was contained within the thyroid. Nothing had spread, but forever, I will now be without a thyroid, which is a major player in metabolism, in weight gain, in weight loss, and those sorts of things. And so I've kind of been on a journey for the past couple of years trying to figure out how do I best support myself from a nutritional standpoint from here on out, knowing that I will forever be on synthetic thyroid hormones, and that as a result of that, it's going to be super easy to gain weight and more difficult than the average person to lose that weight. And so I've been doing a lot of study. But let me just ask you to ponder for a minute all of the diet-related advice that you have read, heard, received, seen, all the things throughout your life. Has there been a lot of dietary advice? So much confusion in the world of food and diet and what to eat, what is best, what should we avoid, what do we focus on, all those things. And the experts are not always in agreement. And the rules seem to keep changing. And the reason why that is, is because nutrition is a very young science. It is a very young science. They are learning new things all the time, which sometimes means that the rules change because one study says one thing and that becomes the thing that they focus on for a while. And then another study will prove something different. And then, you know, their their view and their knowledge is expanding as they do more research. But it's a really young science. In fact, just in the early 20th century, in 1912, which in the overall scheme of the world was not that long ago, that is when vitamins were even discovered because the sailors were getting scurvy, right? And they discovered that if they were able to give them these micronutrients called vitamins, it took the symptoms of scurvy away. That really wasn't that long ago that vitamins were even discovered. But we've learned a lot since then, obviously, but we've learned it by scientific research, which when you're doing scientific research, that means you're trying to isolate variables. And so in the case of nutrition, they have been isolating nutrients. They've been discovering nutrients and trying to isolate nutrients and trying to see what those nutrients actually do or do not do for us, which in the overall scheme of a complex organism, such as a human, and the interactions of different foods, 
trying to isolate specific nutrients and determine that only those nutrients are the cause or not the cause of certain things that happen in the body, that's kind of a difficult thing to do. In fact, Michael Pollan, in his book, An Eater's Manifesto, which is fantastic, by the way, I highly recommend it. He talks about this practice of what he calls nutritionism, which is when Again, nutrients are isolated and studied. He says, most nutritional science involves studying one nutrient at a time, a seemingly unavoidable approach that even nutritionists who do it will tell you is deeply flawed. The problem with nutrient by nutrient nutrition science points out Marion Nestle, a New York University nutrition nutritionist, is that it takes the nutrient out of the context of the food, the food out of the context of the diet, and the diet out of the context of the lifestyle. If nutrition scientists know this, why do they do it anyway? Because a nutrient bias is built into the way science is done. Scientists study variables they can isolate. If they can't isolate a variable, they won't be able to tell whether its presence or absence is meaningful. Yet even the simplest food is a hopelessly complicated thing to analyze. A virtual wilderness of chemical compounds, many of which exist in intricate and dynamic relation to one another, and all of which together are in the process of changing from one state to another. So if you're a nutrition scientist, you do the thing you can do, given the tools at your disposal. Break the thing down into its component parts and study those one by one, even if that means ignoring subtle interactions and context and the fact that the whole may well be more than or may be just different from the sum of its parts. Close quote. So basically what that's saying is that this isolation of nutrients does not give us the full picture because we only study that nutrient out of the context of the lifestyle, out of the context of the cuisine in general, out of the context of the other components, chemical components of that particular food. So it's really difficult to say, is it the interaction of things in that compound that is causing that effect or is it that one specific nutrient? Which is perhaps why we have had such conflicting advice from our nutrition experts over the years. I remember back in the 80s and 90s when fat was demonized. Fat was the enemy. Low fat everything was what you were supposed to eat. I remember the Snackwell's cookies, which were low fat, but then very high in sugar. So eating a lot of low fat foods did not help people lose weight because there were still a lot of other things in those foods, like the Snackwell's cookies that were causing people to gain weight. And so in the early 2000s, we switched from this high carb, low fat diet advice to now it's high fat and higher protein and low carb. This was the age of the Adkins diets. This is when trans fat was then said, oh, well, trans fat is really bad. Don't eat trans fat. And then we get to the 2010s and keto and paleo and intermittent fasting and gluten-free emerges and wheat is now the enemy with all of its carbs and let's not drink dairy. Dairy is bad for you. And then those kind of mindsets are kind of carrying in to the 2020s where we are now, where keto is still kind of ruling the scene. It's high protein. It's high fat. It's low carbs. This is what we're told 
to eat. This is what we're told will help us to be healthy, will help us to lose weight. There are more plant-based options now than there perhaps would be, but my husband is now currently working with a trainer and working with, you know, they're working with him in, in his nutrition and his diet plan. And they're telling him that that 50% of his calories should come from protein. So it, they're telling him to eat very high protein, very low carb, only low glycemic fruits and veggies. So lots of fruits and lots of veggies are off limits and a lot of meat, a lot of protein. That's what they're telling him to eat. But Again, it used to be high carb, low protein, and now it's high protein, low carb, and where does fat fit? And it's all so very confusing because, again, it's constantly changing and constantly evolving and things that are supposed to work, quote unquote, then end up not working because they're disproven by further research, by further science, by further experience, and it just leads to so much confusion. Well, in my patriarchal blessing, it, there is a line in there that tells me to remember the word of wisdom and to make my body strong. Those two things are in the same sentence. And so I've often thought about that. I'm like, why does it tell me specifically to remember the word of wisdom? Because I have never, ever struggled with the don'ts of the word of wisdom. They're not even tempting to me. And so as I've thought about that in the context of my own personal health with no thyroid and with all this confusing advice, and where do I actually go to get accurate information that's not going to change next year when a new diet comes onto the scene that is supposedly the magic bullet. So with that line in my patriarchal blessing, I went to the scriptures. I went to the word of wisdom and studied it in depth. And I want to share with you what I learned. But first, I would like to read a quote from a talk that our prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, gave back in October of 1992. I love the fact that our prophet is a surgeon. He is a doctor. He has a medical background. And that plays in to this quote. He says, mankind's unfamiliarity with the scriptures has sometimes brought sorrow to great numbers of people over long periods of time. The suffering that has resulted from such ignorance is truly tragic. May I illustrate with excerpts from history that pertain to the spread of infection. In the 19th century, health officials and others were concerned about pollution of the air, not by visible smoggy hydrocarbons of today, but by an invisible miasma that was blamed for almost any infection. In 1867, for example, Lord Lister indicated bad air as the chief cause of infection. Because of that, in 1869, Simpson from Edinburgh urged that hospitals be taken down and rebuilt every few years. Such an extravagant practice was also advocated by other experts. Even Florence Nightingale, a living legend following her heroic efforts in the Crimean War, failed to recognize the transmission of infection from one patient to another. This despite her careful notations that wound infection accounted for 40% of post-operative mortality. But others missed the connection too. For centuries, lives of innumerable mothers and children were claimed by childbirth fever, infections unknowingly transmitted among the innocent by unwashed hands of attendants. It was only a short century ago that the great work 
work of Koch, Pasteur, and others prove that infection could be caused by bacteria in contaminated body fluids or infected issues passed from one individual to another. With these highlights of history in mind, may I quote the word of the Lord recorded long ago in Leviticus chapter 15. Quote, the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When any man hath a running issue out of his flesh, because of his issue he is unclean, and this shall be his uncleanness in his issue. Every bed whereon he lieth that hath the issue is unclean, and everything whereon he sitteth shall be unclean. And whosoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. And he that touches the flesh of him that hath the issue shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Similar verses follow which re-emphasize and illustrate the important principles. Then we read this conclusion. And when he hath, he that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in running water and shall be clean. Thus, our loving Heavenly Father had clearly revealed principles of clean technique in the handling of infected patients more than 3,000 years ago. These scriptures are in complete harmony with modern medical guidelines. But during these many millennia, how many mothers needlessly perished? How many children suffered because man's quest for knowledge had failed to incorporate the word of the Lord? Close quote. I love his thoughts on infection control and how the Lord spelled that out back in Leviticus 3,000 years ago. But because people did not know about the advice in the scriptures, they needlessly suffered for many, many generations. Now, in Doctrine and Covenants, section 89, the Lord spells out his law of health. He spells out how best to take care of our bodies. And when we study the word of wisdom, which is the name of this section, it's referred to as the word of wisdom. Often when we study it, we focus only on the don'ts. We know that it tells us not to drink hot drinks, which have been defined as coffee and tea. We know that it tells us not to drink alcohol or to use tobacco. But what does it tell us that we should do? What does it tell us that we should do? Do we know the shoulds? Do we know the do's of the word of wisdom? That is what I would like to focus on today. And we are going to go verse by verse through Doctrine and Covenants section 89. And we're going to talk about what the Lord tells us to do. His law of health. Because just like Leviticus, where the Lord revealed principles of infection control way back to the children of Israel in the days of Moses, he has revealed what we should do to properly care for our bodies. He who created our bodies has told us exactly what we should do to keep them healthy. And it's not just about a list of don'ts. In fact, if you look through the word of wisdom and study it a little bit, you will realize that there is much more about the do's than there is about the don'ts. Okay, we are going to start in verse 2 of Doctrine and Covenants section 89. It says... To be sent greeting, not by commandment or constraint, but by revelation and the word of wisdom showing forth the order and will of God in the temporal salvation of all saints in the last days. 
all saints in the last days. We know that we are still in the last days. So this applies to us, the temporal salvation of all saints, which it is interesting to note that, let's see, in the footnote where it talks about, let's see, the footnote for the word will, it links to Doctrine and Covenants section 29, verse 34, where the Lord says that, Verily I say unto you that all things are unto me are spiritual, and not at any time have I given unto you a law which was temporal, neither any man nor the children of men, neither Adam your father whom I created. So all things are spiritual unto the Lord. So this is for the temporal salvation of all saints in the last days, but also the spiritual salvation of all things, because those two things are one. Those two things are one. In verse 3, it says, given for a principle with promise, adapted to the capacity of the weak and the weakest of all saints who are or can be called saints. We're going to get to the promise in a minute because that promise is near the end of section 89. But it talks about how this is adapted to the capacity of the weakest of all saints. So all of us. It includes all of us. It can be adapted. I like that because it is a principle. And principles are left open to some interpretation. We can adapt them to our individual circumstances. And I love this quote from Chieko Okasaki, where she says, in principles, have clarity. In practices, have charity. So Keep that in mind as we go on to talk about the do's of the word of wisdom, because we are all individuals and our bodies all have different needs. Sometimes people have allergies or intolerances or autoimmune conditions that make it really difficult or maybe impossible for them to eat certain foods. And so we need to adapt it to all things. But the principle is the same for all of us. Okay. So in verse four, I think this is very fascinating. It says, Behold, verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, in consequence of evils and designs which do and will exist in the hearts of conspiring men in the last days, I have warned you and forewarn you by giving unto you this word of wisdom by revelation. Interesting. Evils and designs which do and will exist in the hearts of conspiring men. That's why he's giving us this word of wisdom is because of evils and designs that will happen in the last days. And I like how it says, I have warned you and forewarn you, forewarn you. So he's talking about, yes, the saints back in the 1800s, whom this revelation was given to through the prophet Joseph Smith, but forewarn you, things that will come, perhaps things that are happening in our day, right now, warn and forewarn. That talks about all of us. That includes all of us. Okay, so then we get into verses five through eight. Let's see, five through nine, talk about the don'ts. And I don't want to get into much to the don'ts because we already know the don'ts. So we are going to jump to verse 10, where it says, all wholesome herbs, God hath ordained for the constitution, nature, and use of man. The footnote for herbs defines it as plants. So all plants God has ordained for 
the constitution, nature, and use of man. Then in 11, it says every herb in the season thereof and every fruit in the season thereof. All these to be used with prudence and thanksgiving. Okay, so every herb in the season thereof. Remember, herbs are plants. So seasonal fruits and vegetables are to be used by man for with prudence and thanksgiving. So to me, that says that when people start excluding fruits and vegetables and things that grow on trees and on, in the ground and on plants, saying you should not eat those because for whatever reason, you shouldn't eat them because there's too much sugar or because it's whatever, whatever. There are, when you look at the advice of some people, there are very few plants that are even approved on certain diets, things that are maybe very low glycemic index. You can only eat berries and you can't eat carrots and you can't eat corn and you can't eat peaches and you can't eat mangoes or pineapple or bananas because those are all have too much sugar. In here, it is saying that all wholesome herbs the Lord has ordained every fruit in the season thereof. That also means that maybe we should be eating a little more seasonal. That's something also to consider. Now, when we look at the footnote for wholesome herbs, it takes us to Doctrine and Covenants section 59, verses 17 through 20, which says, Yea, and the herb and the good things which come of the earth, whether for food or for raiment or for houses or for barns or for orchards or for gardens or for vineyards. Yea, all things which come of the earth in the season thereof are made for the benefit and the use of man, both to please the eye and to gladden the heart. Yea, for food and for raiment, for taste and for smell, to strengthen the body and to enliven the soul. And it pleaseth God that he hath given all these things unto man, for unto this end were they made to be used with judgment, not to excess, neither by extortion. I love that because not only is he saying the things of the earth, the good things of the earth that grow in the earth, they're good for us to eat, but they are also made to enliven the soul, to bring joy for beauty, to be able to see beauty. And it pleaseth God that he has given all of these things to us. And also another warning that we should use them with judgment, not to excess, neither by extortion. Well, I was, I was like, what does extortion mean? So I looked it up and I had to dig a little bit for this one because even the Webster's 1828 dictionary did not adequately define extortion in a way that made sense in this way. But in my research, I looked up the Bible dictionary and looked up some footnotes and, and that sort of thing. And I learned that extortion comes from a Greek word that means greediness. Hmm, greediness. So we are to use things with judgment, not to excess or greediness. The Lord wants us to be temperate. He wants us to have self-control over all aspects of our lives including our diets, which means that we probably shouldn't only eat fruit, right? If we're not eating anything to excess, we probably shouldn't only eat peaches or only eat pineapples or only eat strawberries. We need a variety, a variety of things, right? In Alma chapter 7, verse 23, it says that we must be temperate in all things. So this is a law of moderation. 
All right, now let's get back to DNC 89, verse 12. This, I think, is a part of the word of wisdom that we either gloss over or ignore entirely. And I think I've been guilty of this as well. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect at any of this. I am still learning. Like this is last week's study for me, right? So I am still learning. But I think it is important to note that in verse 12, it it says, Yea, flesh also of beasts and of the fowls of the air, I, the Lord, have ordained for the use of man with thanksgiving. Nevertheless, they are to be used sparingly. And it is pleasing unto me that they should not be used only in times of winter or of cold or famine. So, meat is to be used sparingly. It's spelled out pretty clear. But what does sparingly mean? That's even explained. That the Lord is pleased when we only eat meat, the flesh of beasts and the fowls of the air, in times of winter or of cold or famine. Or in other words, when plants don't grow very well. When plants are scarce, then the Lord has ordained meat for the use of man, if we do so with prudence and with thanksgiving. Again, in verse 15, he says, And these hath God made for the use of man only in times of famine and excess hunger. These, again, is referring to the flesh of beasts and the fowls of the air. So three times in four verses, the Lord tells us that meat is to be used sparingly in times of hunger and famine, when plants are scarce. So interesting, right? Because right now, the nutritional, I don't know, advice of the day is to eat high protein, lots and lots of meat, and not very much fruit. And maybe, you know, like vegetables are good. Let's throw in the vegetables. Let's limit the fruit. Let's eat a lot of meat. That's not what the Lord is telling us to do here in the word of wisdom. In verse 14, it says, All grain is ordained for the use of man and of beasts to be the staff of life. So all grain is to be the staff of life. And then in verse 16, it says, All grain is good for the food of man and also the fruit of the vine, that which yieldeth fruit, whether in the ground or above the ground. And then it goes in to say, on in verse 17, it's wheat for man and corn for the ox and oats for the horse and rye for the fowls and for the swine and for all the beasts of the field and barley for all useful animals. So it says repeatedly that all grain is good for the food of man and all the fruit of the vine, that which yieldeth fruit, whether in the ground or above the ground. So all things, again, all plants that yield fruit, all of that is good for us. Fruit, meaning fruit, vegetables, grain, all the things. So the Lord is telling us that grain and plant-based, plant-based eating is what is best for us. That meat and flesh of beasts are to be used sparingly and It pleases him if we only use them in times of winter. Now, again, this is a principle. This can be adapted to different people who are in differing circumstances, who have different 
nutritional things going on. Obviously, if you have celiac disease, wheat is not going to be your staff of life. That's not going to nourish you. Your body can't digest that. So, but the principle is that plant-based eating is what the Lord has deemed best for us. It's actually a high carbohydrate diet (laughs) and not so high in protein. It's like opposite of what is being taught as good nutrition today. And, you know, again, science is showing all sorts of things and they're isolating nutrients and they're studying nutrients one by one, but they don't have the whole context because as I already explained, nutrition is very complex and we can't always gain all the information that we need based on one variable alone, but that's how science studies, right? But God who created our bodies has given us the law that will keep us healthy or this principle with a promise that will keep us healthy here in Doctrine and Covenants section 89. And I think we often overlook a lot of the do's that it tells us to do because it's not actually what fits in to most of our lives really easily at this moment because that's not how our culture currently eats. Now, I'm not a vegetarian. I'm not suggesting that you become a vegetarian or a vegan. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying, what does sparingly mean? If the Lord says that we should eat meat sparingly, what does that mean? What does that look like for you? It's a principle. Again, you'll have to figure that out. You'll have to apply it how you see fit. But this is what the Lord is telling us is best for our bodies. And the promise then comes in verse 18. It says, And all saints who remember to keep and do these sayings, walking in obedience to the commandments, shall receive health in their navel and marrow in their bones, and shall find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures, and shall run and not be weary, and shall walk and not faint. And I, the Lord, give unto them a promise, that the destroying angel shall pass by them as the children of Israel, and not slay them. Those are some pretty incredible promises, right? And in verse in verse 19, um, where it says, And you shall find wisdom and great tre- treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures. The footnote on that goes to D&C 8480. And it says, And any man that shall go and preach the gospel of this kingdom and fail not to continue faithful in all things, shall not be weary in mind, neither darkened, neither in body, limb, nor joint, and a hair of his head shall not fall to the ground unnoticed. I think that's interesting that it talks about when you continue faithful in all things, which is again, faithful in this thing, this word of wisdom, that your mind will not be darkened. One, I'll be honest, like my biggest health fear is that I'm going to like lose my mind. I already feel like that sometimes. I feel like I'm losing my mind, that I will not have mental clarity. Alzheimer's terrifies me. And the Lord is telling us here that if we follow this word of wisdom, that our minds will be clear and our bodies will be healthy and we will have knowledge and great treasures and we will be spiritually protected. Physical strength and mental clarity are among the promises of the word of wisdom. Now, when it's talking about, you know, that that all grains are good for man and that we should eat all the fruits of the vine, whether above the ground or under the ground and wholesome herbs and wholesome plants and these kind of things. 
I don't think that's saying, you know, all the refined sugar that comes from sugarcane <laughs> or all the refined flour that comes from wheat where all nutritional substance is stripped from it. I think it's talking about whole grains, fruits and vegetables, wholesome plants, right? Eat mostly plants. That's what it's telling us. And again, this is something that I too am learning and I too am trying to figure out what that looks like for me. And principles have clarity and practices have charity. I just wanted to teach you what I have learned, that this is what the Lord has laid out for us. If we want to be healthy, we don't need to look to diet culture. We don't need to even look to scientists to tell us how to feed our bodies. We just need to follow this word of wisdom that the Lord has clearly laid out in the Doctrine and Covenants for us to keep our bodies healthy. And it comes with great promises of health and mental clarity. That one's really important to me. So I, that's about all I have to share with you today about the word of wisdom. But I encourage you as your shine challenge for this week to go and dive in on your own to Doctrine and Covenants section 89 and see what the Lord has to teach you. Not so much about the don'ts because we already know those, but about the do's and how to apply the do's to your particular situation. And that's going to look different than for me than it does for you. And I am absolutely too, let me just throw this in there, I'm not saying that you won't lose weight if you go on the keto diet, or that you won't have good health if you go on the paleo diet. That's not what I'm saying. You can absolutely lose weight with those types of things. I'm just saying, if you're looking for something long-term, if you're looking for something sustainable, it's laid out very clearly here in the Doctrine and Covenants. So let's learn together, my friends, and start wherever we are and try to apply in a way that makes sense for us. And together, let's stand. Thanks for being here. I'll see you back here again next week. Thank you for spending a few minutes with me today. If you are ready to dive in deeper and join the stand movement, find me on Instagram at Lynette Shepard. That's two N's, two P's and an A-R-D or at LynetteShepard.com. If you like what you heard today, please consider sharing the show with a friend or leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That works wonders in helping us to find the people that we can help. Thank you again, and remember, you were born to stand. See you next time.